0: This is The Professor's Corner, a McGuire-Woods series exploring business and legal issues prevalent in today's private equity industry. Tune in with McGuire-Woods partner, Jeff Cockrell, as he and specialists share real-world insight to help enhance your knowledge.
1: Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Cockrell from McGuire-Woods. Welcome to another of our Corner Series where we bring together deal professionals and uh, market presence folks in the healthcare private equity investing arena. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by my good friends at Mark, uh, Sumit, Agarwal, and Sam Bell. Uh, both of them work in the uh, rep and warranty insurance uh, area and have very specific expertise uh, as relates to healthcare transactions in particular.
2: My name is Sumit Agarwal. I'm a member of Mars's Transactional Risk Practice. Um, I've been a broker here specializing in rep and warranty insurance for about a year, I was at a previous job for about two years, and prior to that, I was an M&A attorney um, at a large firm in New York.
1: And my name is Sam Bell. I'm a vice president with Marsh, and my role is to find new logo, new business opportunities, and I utilize Summit when it comes to all M&A transactional risk. Maybe just to open up the discussion a little bit, I'd be curious on your guys' thoughts on w- what we can expect here in 2022, given the constraints that we faced in Q4 in of 2021, where uh, carriers were kind of overexposed. They'd underwritten beyond their budget generally and uh, in healthcare specifically. Resources were stressed as too many deals were on the train crash headed for December of 2021, and claims history was picking up a bit, especially in healthcare transactions. Uh, and all that led to much more difficult to procure, and in some instances, just not available rep and warranty insurance policies uh, for healthcare provider services deals. Things are feeling a little bit different in uh, Q1, but uh, uh, Summit, maybe start with you. Uh, how is the market evolving given the the tight
2: Q4? Yeah, thanks, Jeff, and thanks for having us. At the end of last year, uh, Q3 and Q4 of 2021, rates went sky high. Uh, I don't think the market has ever seen rates go that high. And it's just a product of supply and demand. Uh, deals came in at a record pace. Uh, we bound policies and deals were signing and closing at a record pace. So rates kind of match that, just again, from, from capacity constraints. So you have, in today's market, you have a lot more MDAs or MDUs than you do direct underwriters. So more managing general agents that write on behalf of the syndicate then you do uh, household names such as AIG and Liberty. And these guys have, these MGAs have capacity restrictions. So they're allowed to underwrite a certain amount in limits on behalf of, of their syndicate. And they reached their maximums a lot earlier last year than, than historically. So had, you had some of these MGAs that had to go out and get more capacity from their backing. People went out two or three times uh, to get that. Uh, so at the end of last year, rates were for matching that Capacity constraint. In this year, uh, 2022, as we're ending the near end of Q1, rates have found their way down a little bit. I think people are still struggling with where the right uh, bottom is or average should be. So you have certain markets that are taking the lead and establishing where, where it should be. And based on what we're seeing and what our group is seeing at Mars, uh, I think for, for a normal deal, Average rate online is about four to four and a half, probably with obviously four and a quarter being the average there, Uh, plus or minus just depending on the risk. Healthcare specifically, though, it still remains high. You're looking at five to five and a quarter uh, where people think they should be. And just to piggyback off of the the constraints in in Q4 and Q3 of last year, healthcare was at an an all-time high. Most of the markets that do it were completely strapped for capacity. Claims at the early... Part of last year in early 2021 narrowed the playing field. So you only had a few markets uh, doing it, which which made placing a healthcare deal that much more difficult.
1: One one of the other things that we saw was reintroduction of exclusions that we had not seen, from kind of general billing and coding exclusions, which in my view make the policy of uh, questionable utility, but also other exclusions. How do the exclusions and the, and the push and pull of negotiating, negotiating those play out in kind of Q4 and then in Q1 uh, because those constraints kind of also show, show their head up in the inclusion arena? Yeah, great question. And let's be real, for a healthcare
2: deal, if you don't have billing and coding or healthcare regulation coverage for, for reps and warranties, it's not worth it because that's where the real risk is. Exclusions. So you, we got those exclusions in Q4, um, but then again, it just begs the product begs the question whether restructured insurance is worth it at that point on a healthcare deal. Um, and you can come up with creative ways to get around it. Uh, you could have a separate billing and coding retention or retention that doesn't drop. So people were getting creative at the end of last year trying to to make it work. I think those exclusions have since fallen away uh, this year. We have a couple. Healthcare deals in the pipeline right now. We had underwriting calls this week. There is no billing and coding exclusion. There is no healthcare regulatory uh, related exclusion. Everyone is willing to underwrite to it. It's just finding the right market to do it and having the right diligence providers to do the work to give the carriers comfort that buyer is doing the requisite diligence.
1: Well, what are you seeing as far as carrier participation? Meaning, just in the, the raw number of them. Uh, uh, initially, when kind sort of healthcare became uh, the more current for healthcare deals became available. It was a short list of carriers, and then it steadily grew and grew. And then in Q4, it kind of constrained again. What are you seeing by way of participants for underwriting healthcare provider services deals?
2: You have probably five to seven that that do it. I think if you on the record, if you ask any carrier, they say they'll look at any deal. But I think uh, unofficially, you have five to seven carriers that will look at healthcare deals, and I think. Classification of what actually constitutes a healthcare deal is kind of a gray area. You have healthcare tech, which you might even have up to ten markets that look at. Um, sometimes healthcare tech, the the producer of the technology or the device may not be subject to billing and coding risk, so you might have more carriers that would be willing to look at that. But true healthcare risk, uh, or at least what I consider true healthcare care risk, which would be a physicians' practices, or fertility clinics, or behavioral health, you're going to have five to seven that look at it. Um, and be willing to underwrite the billing and coding risk as well as healthcare regulatory risk.
1: Moving beyond kind of the evolution from Q4 to Q1, uh, are there any trends in rep and warranty insurance, especially uh, as relates to healthcare deals, that you're watching or think that we should be expecting? I think it's more so just finding
2: the right opportunity for for rep and warranties insurance. Uh, you have some of these smaller deals that, generally speaking, reps and warranties may or may not be economically practical. Another
1: topic that might be interesting to have your perspective on would be where do you see private equity funds or buyers, uh, or sellers for that matter, uh, where do you see them make mistakes uh, or challenges where they could be thinking about best practices that might avoid some of those challenges and mistakes? Yeah, you have... As far as
2: Mark is concerned, we're, we're split pretty evenly, 50-50. Um, and it's been the case for 2020 and 2021, where 50% of our clients are, are corporate and the other 50 are private equity. And the, the biggest challenge we face is not being involved early enough. Um, and that's more so so we can set expectations. I think some of these buyers, they like the business risk. They want to move quickly. They kind of hire this, this suite of third-party diligence providers and look at everything, and then they want a policy. Unfortunately for these underwriters, they want to know what diligence was done. And sometimes buyers like, hey, I think, I think this, this business is great. There's no issues with it. Why don't you want to underwrite the policy? The biggest challenge that we face is just having these buyers memorialize the diligence that they're doing. So when it comes to legal, you're doing a full suite of, of diligence as far as legal matters are concerned. If their target is unaudited most carriers require full-scope buy-side quality of earnings report from a reputable third-party advisor. Um, Same thing with tax work, uh, regulatory insurance. So the biggest challenge we face is just lining up expectations with third-party diligence providers, providing written reports, and making sure that carriers have what they need to underwrite the deal. Um, And even with some of these Corporate clients, they have a lot of internal advisors that do work, and there's no problem with that as long as they write a one- or two-page summary. And it could be in Word. It doesn't have to be on any sort of fancy template, but just saying, hey, this is what we looked at. This is what we found, um, and just giving the carrier comfort that when, when a rep says X, Y, Z, that the buyer has done the requisite diligence to confirm that seller or company's rep is actually true.
1: Right. We, we, on the legal side, we approach it uh, from the perspective of, especially when the buyer is wanting to move quickly, that the, the, the most important thing we can do is by the time we get to that underwriting call, there aren't open things floating around that if there are any uh, kind of gray area topics that we have fully vetted kind of our answer on those topics and be ready to, to discuss why uh, that was the correct call and that there's a clean understanding of where on the risk Spectrum that uh, resides, uh, and just kind of fronting issues. Those calls uh, go a lot better, and you have uh, fewer tail issues um, if you can be ready for them on the front end. But it it is a pretty substantial lift to be sure.
2: Yeah, hundred percent. And and when you have a client that comes in and says, "Hey, we're looking at this target. uh, We'd love to be brought in initially." And whether it falls apart or not, it's one thing. But just kind of setting expectations. That way, we can market the deal appropriately and accurately with the best carrier suited for the risk. Um, there, are certain, there are certain carriers out there that won't touch a deal with unaudited financials, um, and there's no reason to approach those markets on a given deal, or there's carriers out there that will like smaller deals or specific sector deals. So, being involved in the conversation from the start helps us overcome some of these challenges that may may arise uh, later in the process. And when you're looking at the 11th hour to secure a policy, um, we could have gotten well ahead of it if we were brought in a lot earlier.
1: As far as kind of size of transactions that are being underwritten, there was a time when you had to have uh, transactions of a certain size, but that was kept uh, dipping down and down and down to where kind of pre Q 4 we were uh, finding policies being available for deals that might be only a 30 million dollar enterprise value where you're buying uh, say five million dollars of coverage. I have questions about some of the utility on in that arena. Um, how do you think about kind of the the bottom end of uh, uh, size for both availability and 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 where's the line where it stops making sense? Yeah, I think when you talk about a 20 or $30 million deal,
2: you're you're at minimum limits, which is 3 to $5 million. Um You can get, there are programs out there from some carriers to get limits as low as $1 million, uh, but the ec- economics start to make less sense. Are you doing full scope two of e's, assuming that a, a deal that small is going to have an unaudited target? Are you hiring a, a law firm to do full scope uh, diligence? So the economics on a deal that size stop to make Sense or you start to question whether it makes sense, and do you just go back to a traditional escrow? Because the the escrow at that point might be just as much, or just not much higher than the cost of the policy, as well as yeah. These carriers and and us brokers, we put we put the buy side through the ringer in terms of there's this whole separate work stream um, that you have to focus on, and we're obviously here to facilitate that. But you're focusing on the deal, everyone's kind of rushing to get it done, and then you have this whole separate reps and warranties insurance process. To go through it, uh, at the end of last year, I think anything less than 10 million in limits was very difficult to get done, and it just simply came down to the economics of of an opportunity cost. It's going to take just as much time, if not more time, to do a policy of three to five million in limits than it would be to do 20, 25 million in limits, um, and obviously the economics on a 25 million dollar deal make much more sense from a time perspective. But I think that's leveled out. I have plenty of deals in the pipeline that are $5 million in limits, um, but I also have just as many that are 30 $40, 50000000 in limits.
1: Yep. One of the interesting evolutions that I'm seeing on the small acquisition end, especially in a provider services business, which has as its growth model doing a whole series of small acquisitions, I agree that the economics of the cost of the policy and the work streams stopped making sense. But the challenge is that the, the the risk allocation structure to a seller of the RWI deal is so compelling, uh, rather than having, say, 10 or more percent uh, uh, in escrow and exposure that might be more than that, uh, having their exposure uh, curtailed down to uh, a really small percent, say a half or maybe three-quarters of a percent is super attractive to the sellers, Um, and I'm having uh, more buyers that are doing serial transactions and feel like they are kind of diversifying their risk on their own, considering kind of self-underwriting the uh, insurance policy, meaning offer the seller the same uh, RWI-type risk allocation, so they're limited to, say, uh, a very small escrow of a half or three-quarters of a percent, and then having that be the end of the line. Uh, With the buyer basically uh, underwriting that, with the theory being that the carriers, when they kind of figure out their uh, premiums, they really are pricing that risk, plus some money for themselves. And if you're spreading that risk through serial transactions on your own, is it worth considering uh, just self-insuring for that, but still delivering the same treatment to the seller? That's been an interesting development, and we'll see if that lands or not. One last topic. Is uh, what are you seeing by way of kind of special products, products to deal with a known issue that is, say, somewhere on the risk spectrum that was going to probably garner a specific exclusion from the general policy? Are you seeing kind of special, higher risk, more expensive products uh, evolving? Yeah, I mean,
2: tax has been around for a long time, um, and it's it's not a fairly difficult risk to underwrite Um, if you have a tax opinion. Most shops, Mark included, we have a very robust, reputable tax team um, that does these risks. Um, the rates are significantly higher. And then we also have a contingent liability practice. Uh, we have a we have a group in-house that does that as well. And they'll look at litigation risks or any sort of specific risk that, hey, this is known. Would you be willing to underwrite it? Those are around. Uh, the rates, again, are high. It begs the question whether it's worth it or not. But again, that comes down to a risk allocation business decision. But those are coming. Um, They weren't around. um, They haven't been around for a very long time, but we see those often. Um, Do they get placed often? Not as much as reps and warranties, obviously, but those specialty products are there. I think they're here to stay. It's just a matter of finding the right shop to understand it. And a good example of this was PPP loans um, about a year ago, where Two or three thoughts came out and said, hey, we'll underwrite the risk um, in the event that you don't get your PPP loan uh, reimbursed. I think the government ended up making it very easy to get that reimbursed, um, and that product didn't really do too many. And I think the folks that tried to underwrite it only did one or two policies at most. It was just a, it was evolving. People didn't know what the, the playing field would be, but those, the, the market does a really good job of seeing what's latest and greatest, trying to find creative solutions for clients. Especially reps and warranty insurance didn't cover PPP loan or CARES Act related matters. So the market adjusted trying to find a specialty product to help address that concern.
1: Yeah, as an MA practitioner, the rep and warranty insurance product has really transformed the M&A process uh, in ways that make it way easier to get deals done. Uh, I and mean, it's also helped in kind of avoiding so many of the most tedious lawyer fights over this risk allocation is out of market. No, you're out of market. No, you're out of market. It uh, short circuits a lot of those things, but it's a lot better, uh, but it's been a good evolution and it will continue to evolve, I'm sure. Uh, Summit and Sam, I really appreciate you guys uh, joining us for this episode. Uh, Your insights are always a a lot of uh, help. uh, And thank you again.
0: Thank you for joining us on this installment of The Professor's Corner. To learn more about today's discussion, Please email host Jeff Cockrell at gcockrell at Maguirewoods.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This series was recorded and is being made available by Maguire Woods for informational purposes only. By accessing this series, you acknowledge that Maguire Woods makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this installment. The views, information, or opinions expressed are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily reflect those of Maguire Woods. This series should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state and should not be construed as an offer to make or consider any investment or course of action.